Hey, it's Tim Patterson. This is Trade Show Guy Monday Morning Coffee. Uh, the calendar says it's November, so I'll go with it. It's unbelievable that we're already here in November or finally got here. Whatever. This, the year's almost over. We've got a couple months left. Hey, uh, you can find us at tradeshowguy.net. You'll find links to our kind of a web of websites, including uh, books, webinars on demand, uh, free downloads, videos, and more. I'm going to jump right in this week. I thought I'd do a podcast six-pack, sort of inspired by a guy I had on in the program a year or two ago, David Newman. Uh, he put out an email that talked about his podcast six-pack, and he just kind of lumped them all together. I thought, well, I'm just going to grab snippets. I've gone over the last, oh, I don't know, half year or so of podcasts and grabbed some snippets to share the main idea being to sort of glean some good ideas and inspiration from what others have been doing and are still doing as we are all, yes, still all working our way through the pandemic as what second wave comes or maybe as the second wave is receded and the third wave is coming. I don't know. It's hard to keep track. It's not over yet. So anyway, I want to start with April's show that featured both Ken Newman and Robert Middleton. Uh, Ken's company, Magnet Productions, is a live trade show presentation group. And, you know, they had to really pivot because they had no shows to go to. And, and they're very creative folks. And Ken got to talk about that a little bit from our uh, first snippet on the podcast Six Pack. I realized my original business way back when was doing large scale corporate events, not trade shows. And we were doing a ton of video and film production. Right. You know, my background is in acting. I have a lot of experience editing with Avid and all those old technologies. And so we literally have just hit a rewind on, you know, my business and kind of re rebirthed it. We, we essentially came up with a model of a variety show, you know, happy hour variety show, whatever. And we have packaged that and are now selling that to our clients. We're saying, look, don't think of it as, you know, virtualizing a trade show, thinking of, think of it as what is the new way you're going to be able to communicate with your customers. Mm. If you've got a database with 35,000 people, you can communicate with them on a face-to-face -face level. You may not want to do it with, you know, 2,700 PowerPoint slides for three hours at a clip. But if it started off like Saturday Night Live does with a cold open and there was some funny stuff and commercial parodies and this, this is all the stuff I used to do for corporate, right. for Intel, for yeah. HP, for Sun, for that's how I built our, you know, <laughs> So I bought my first house, but um, I mean, Hewlett Packard was our biggest client. We did 15, 20 shows for them a year, all their live events. HPTV uh, came into being and they went, oh, we can do, we can do, you know, and they had a state of the art facility, second only to Apple TV, which was the most sophisticated production facility in California, if not the United States. People would come up from Hollywood to use it. It was amazing. And they had all the newest digital technology, but it was not sustainable because of the cost. But while it was there, we had it. And we could do these amazing, we did a live, a live, a 12 hour live broadcast with roll in music videos and stuff. Budgets were like through the roof. We were, right. I, yeah, I was like, just like, oh my God, kid in the candy store. Yeah. And yeah. so, but then that stopped. And then I shifted to trade shows because it was more marketing focused and less entertainment or whatever. And now we're going back and saying, remember that stuff we used to do? We can do that again. We can, so what's now the we've reception got been? I'm just curious. Obviously, you're, you're oh, having to make this transition and reach out and kind of approach people in a different way. What kind of uh, things are you hearing? Been, it's been amazing, actually. I, I just yesterday I had a phone call from somebody and I, you know, we showed her this little 60 second clip that we had and we, we watched it together and we watched her face go like, oh, my God, my boss is going to love this. He is like so out of the box. He's like, we just did this webinar. And it was like completely dead. I mean, nobody was paying attention. I said, look, if you're competing with a cat video, the best thing to do is come up with a really good cat video have three cats sitting around talking, digitize their mouths and have them talk about technology, whatever. I mean, you just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, you, you know, you keep your friends close, your enemies closer. You From the same show, I'm not sure how we got two guests on the same show, but that's just kind of the way it worked out uh, back in April. Robert Middleton, 
of Action Plan Marketing had some ideas on how to just have good conversations with people now instead of trying to you know hard sell anything to anybody. And this is how that little snippet went. If you're trying to reach the per- perfect person who doesn't know you, they are not the perfect person because people don't <laughs> want to talk to strangers. Right. People don't want to do cold calls. So first of all, we started calling lots of past clients and people like we have past clients. When was the last time you called them? Oh, one, two, three, five years. Well, these people know, like, and trust you already. So you, you, you send an email and you say, Hey John was just thinking of you. We haven't talked in a long time. How you doing right now? Hey, I have a few ideas I'd like to run by you. Um, love to chat. So, you know, really simple emails. Right. And I teach people that, and then they'd write an email that was 16 paragraphs. And they said, no, really. <laughs> you need four lines. <laughs> really, a four-line freaking email. And, and then I said, look, I'm going to try it too. So I started to send out emails like this to Pass Connections, and I got a 100% response. Wow. Everybody wanted to talk. And so I talked to people I hadn't talked in 10 years and recently and people I've done stuff with and, you know, and some of that is future business. But the, the thing that people are getting, they're getting two main things, or sometimes more than that. You start to get inspired in connecting with people, you know, just instead of being in your friggin' head all the time, right? Exactly. Yeah, I can see that. So you're, so I, I say do four things in these calls. Share ideas, insights, resources, and connections. And you might say, hey, I'm looking for referrals to this group. I'm looking for ideas about this. How can I help you? I have some ideas. So I connected with someone recently, someone whose website I did 20 years ago. She's gone on to be an international, internationally famous author and consultant. And it was actually the first face-to-face meeting we'd ever had. We'd only had phone meetings uh, before. And we had this fantastic conversation and I shared some resources for you and she asked, well, how can I help you? And so, you know, things happen out of conversations. We have to remember that the, the currency of business is conversation. I caught up with Jay Gilbert of Label Logic, and he's in the entertainment industry, music industry, works with artists and things like that. And that, I thought this was worth adding into this because he had an interesting perspective and some good tales to tell. Uh, He and his partner work with musicians, and I think some of what their clients are doing can be helpful to inspire maybe a few ideas from you along the way. It's going to be a challenge. What are you guys doing? How How are you approaching this? What's kind of your internal conversation? Well, it's kind of crazy. Our business is actually busier than it was pre-pandemic and Hmm. we wouldn't have thought that but my partner and I both work from our homes and have for many years so we're used to uh, carrying on business from home but what's happening is this new music business we like to call it always on so you don't want to leave a big gap like when you and I were growing up there was a release cycle that could have been 18 months um, between you know albums and you might not even hear from that artist after you know they released the album other than a tour. Well, now you need to continually engage your audience. You need to continually release music and videos and communicate and have that relationship via socials and YouTube um, with your audience. And that's where Jeff and I come in. We, we help managers and artists to, you know, we are their label infrastructure in a lot of cases. And we continually help them 
to communicate with their their audience. So this pandemic, at least up until now, has just made our business uh, busier as hmm. more people want to release music. Um, they know a lot of people are at home. They're also doing some really interesting things um, virtually, right, of right. Uh, collaborating with their um, with their fans, um, which is really interesting to see yeah. what they're doing. Like one of our clients has taken it to a whole new level. Um, they're called the Licorice Quartet, and okay. it's – it's L I C K E R I S H, which is a totally different word if you if you Google right. it. Yep. Anyway, they they're they're members that used to be in the band Jellyfish and Imperial Drag, and you know these guys have played with everybody from Sheryl Crow to Slash to Alice Cooper. They're very sought after touring musicians, songwriters, etc. The reason I bring it up is if you go to their website, you'll see that not only do they have you know, CDs and vinyl and T-shirts that you can, you know, that their fans can grab, but they're they're selling experiences. So mm-hmm. you can do a Skype call with the guys. You can write a song with them. You can have a piano lesson with one of the guys. You can remix one of your songs, or they'll mix one of your songs. And they've really taken it to another level. And and I'm really having a lot of fun watching these artists adapt. You know, like right now, we're doing this conversation via Zoom. Right. Well, a lot of us hadn't even heard of Zoom, even though they'd been around a while. When this pandemic is over, I get the sense that we're going to have a lot of new um, weapons in our arsenal, you know, that we can use. And I think artists are going to, yeah, they're going to continue to tour, but now they're going to pepper in some of these other things like, uh, you know, live streaming events and the AMAs or Ask Me Anything, you know, where you you ask your fans to submit questions. And, you know, the last thing I'll say on this is that uh, uh, another one of our friends and clients, um, the Accidentals, have taken this to another level as well. They're doing a daily breather. So every day at noon, they get on a live stream, they light a candle, they take a deep breath with you, they talk about things that they're thankful for, and then they play a song. And I'm telling you, it's helping them grow their audience. It's very genuine. Uh, It's not selly at all. So those are just a couple of examples with the Licorice Quartet and the Accidentals, how artists today can kind of, I wouldn't say capitalize on this because that's the wrong word, but to make the best out of a bad situation. Next up is Jonathan Tabs of uh, Kaleidico. We talked about virtual events and how they can help to build community. And what happened was, is on March 18th, we all said, we had the collective, okay, put our virtual hands in, are we in, are we going to, you know, and we're shooting for the beginning of May, you know, we want to be out there, we want to, if we could be the model that others might follow, let's do it. And I was very much, again, with that virtual, I want, I was saying, Kaleidico is happy to support whatever, but we are not going to get as involved as you might like if we don't make this as virtually as virtual of an experience as we can, meaning Mm -hmm. what's the closest we can get there without being there. And, uh, and it was only because of the relationships that we had from a technology perspective and clients that we were already working with uh, and vendors that we had worked with that we felt we had the tools to put it together. And what the main tool was a company that we were working with called Auxit. And Auxit, it's spelled A-U-X-X-I-T. 
Uh, you can find them at augzip.com. Right. Okay. They, they came out as a product that was a community platform enveloped by commerce. So you could go into their rooms in their app that are all centered on something that is that people are passionate about. So whether that is, it could be Star Wars, it could be uh, just general comic books, it could be fans of Radiohead, it could be fly fishing, it could be vinyl, it could be watches, whatever. But the whole idea that people can go in and talk and chat the same way that you would see on WhatsApp, but you don't have to know the other people first to be invited in. It's sort of like you could just see that that room is there, that category is there, knock on the door and come in. It's, you know, there's, it's not ad supported. So we're not taking anybody's, or they're not taking anybody's data. They're just trying to serve the community. And then overlaid on that, people could sell things, whether it's, I've got my own, I've got a collection of things that I've gathered and I want to get rid of, um, or it's a company that has things that are relevant to that community. And so I thought, not only could we use that as the platform for exhibitors to have their own booth. So again, going booth to booth to booth, like you were in the exhibit, exhibit hall floor, uh, we could also use the social aspect for our happy hours, for our way for the community to really come together. So it wasn't just about creating the content. And we had, the content was you know, very nicely done. Uh, we had amazing talent that all agreed to do it. This was entirely free for everybody. So whether you wanted to watch the content, whether you wanted to exhibit, we didn't charge for a booth like you might at another exhibition. Right. It was just that Oxit was taking a reduced transaction fee. So the whole idea was nobody knew what to expect. And so that <laughs> so, was- So you didn't have a lot of expectations in that sense. Right, like, right. Yeah. It was sort of like, you know what? We've got this time and it was, it was more about managing expectations because right. everybody was thinking, oh my God, it's gotta be this, it's gotta be that. And it's like, we're right. all doing this for free. Right. You know, we're all doing this to support the community. So it's what pieces can we put together to make that happen? And we ended up really having a, a, a great con for something that did not exist on, May, on March 15th and happened on May 9th and 10th. Also, I caught up with Brad Kleiner, uh, grounded by Cedar Root. Brad was a sales trainer of mine for a year or so. Uh, and he talked about some of the qualities of leadership, which he is also training people in as well. And a lot of us, you know, we have blind spots. And if we knew what they were, we could probably address them. So with the peer advisory groups, some of those blind, blind spots can be addressed. I use a, I'm a big fan of assessment tools. So we do um, communication style assessments and even some cognitive or skill-based assessments. But that's where those blind spots can surface. Yeah. And then you can address them and work on how do I develop different behaviors so I can work on those. I'm a big fan of using DISC. Um, there's lots of different um, variations of that, but it's, it's a, big, a big part of his communication. So how you're communicating with your um, teammates, how you're communicating um, with partners and vendors. And I think to become self-aware, to really understand your DISC style and then making those adjustments and ad adaptations to better communicate with the other the people in the room or the people that you're leading, I think is a big part of, of leadership. And so I think communications is kind of a, uh, a foundation that we talk, we spend a lot of time on how to improve your communication and how to um, work with others to improve and have effective communication.
Yeah, you know, communication is one of those things which, uh, again, we could do hours, days on on the various parts, the written communication, the in-person communication, the body language, the tone of voice. It just goes on yeah. and on and on. And it's all very important because we all perceive that and they're all perceiving that in us. So before we wrap it up, Brad, is there, are, are there a couple of uh, leadership tips that you might want to pass along? Uh, just kind of top of the mind things that that it, uh, you think of when someone says, what, what's important about leadership and, and how do you approach it? Yeah, and I think just in these recent times, that's changed. Sometimes it wasn't by design, but I think having open and authentic communication with leaders, I think there are two groups, some of the companies I was working with, they wanted just to kind of hunker down and wait for this to pass. And I think they've been surprised that it's gone on longer than they anticipated. Mm -hmm. And, or to, to think everything is okay. So I always encourage people to be open and authentic if to share what's going on. And as a leader, to, to repeat that vision of where we're going, even if you don't have all of the answers, to share with the team and with your um, partners what's happening within the organization, what you know. You can always make adjustments on the way. So I think just to be, to have open, authentic communication and be open to learning from others. I think that's an important part of, of being a good leader. Midsummer, I spoke with Marlis Arnold about the actual physical trade show exhibit uh, and how that'll likely change when everything presumably gets back to normal. It all kind of inspired by an article she published in the middle of the year. So I, I'm curious to talk about, um, you had an article in the last couple of weeks, I get your, your newsletter, and mm -hmm. it uh, focuses on adapting exhibits for the near future and, you know, actual exhibits, how the, the construction and design might change. I'm curious to get kind of your top of the line thoughts on, on that and what brought that article about. Well, I think because there's been so much talk in the industry about, you know, how the, the logistics of the show is going to change, you know, the registration and the traffic flow and all that kind of stuff. But I didn't really see anybody talking about the actual exhibit how it's going to change. And so I just started brainstorming and, okay, here's some things, you know, like graphics and signage are going to be very important. You know, being able to have some kind of a path through the booth, um, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of things that are going to need to be different, at least, you know, and I titled it near with parentheses because, yep. you know, again, we don't know how long this is going to go or if this is going to be our new normal. So, um, you know, we got to figure these things out. Yeah, we are kind of in unprecedented times, and, and you're right. When we do get back, will it be tentatively? Will you know they be much smaller shows, uh, more wide open uh, layouts, and things like that? Um, you know, I'm sure the organizers have to think about that as well as the exhibitors, and they've got to have yeah. attendees there to make it work, and the attendees have to feel comfortable. So there's just so many different uh, yeah. stakeholders, really. Well, and that's where I keep saying it's like I've always said it doesn't matter how many people are at the show. It matters the quality of the people that are at the show. Right. Well, going forward, we know the audience, the physical audience is going to be lower because there will be less people, whether it's for budget, for uh, safety, whatever reason, there will be less people on the show floor. But that's not to say that it's going to be a lower quality audience. The people who are there are going to be the most serious. So, you know, it, it's not a time to be afraid of, oh, well, am I going to waste money going to this show? No, you're going to have the highest quality prospects there on the show floor to talk to. And you're also adding the virtual audience, which most of the shows that have been doing the virtual are seeing their, their audience percentage is way above anything they see in the physical world. And a lot of times it's brand new audience that have never attended 
in real life. So, yep. you know, so there's a lot of audience, but it is, there's going to be a lot of things like hands-on demos. How's <laughs> that going to work? Probably not going to want to participate in that. So, you know, how can you rethink that? And again, there's technology. I mean, it's like, that's one reason I'm doing the virtual lunches is because there's so many new things to report all the time. There's new technology and new tools that are coming out where you can use, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality and different things that you can do to make it more um, participatory without being high touch. Um, you know, there's um, all different kinds of tools that you could use to uh, interact both before and after the show as well, um, especially with the virtual platforms. There's things that you need to do. I've always told exhibitors that pre-show promotions are very important, very important because yeah. otherwise it's taking what I call the field of dreams approach and just hoping people come to your booth. You know? <laughs> but you know, pre-show promotions now are going to be even more important because you're going to have to kind of educate these people what they can expect in your booth or why they should come to your booth because they're not going to want to be wasting their time and wandering in and out of every booth on the floor. Finally, speaking of exhibits, uh, let's go to virtual exhibits. I caught up with Kevin Carty late in the summer of classic exhibits in September to talk about how the industry and exhibit designers and show organizers are looking at virtual trade show exhibits and how they're talking about them to the end user, the corporations and the groups that actually buy the exhibits. My challenge to people here is, is think again from the physical world. You never went to a show organizer and asked them to design your exhibit. So when you go to an event in the virtual space, they've done a great job creating what the virtual uh, 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 venue looks like and, and how the virtual event is going to function, but they have not done a great job in creating the virtual exhibits. Companies like ourselves, instead of going that API route where you're, you're having to, to worry about that, that those things um, conjoining well, um, one of the reasons we chose the platform that we're on that we could customize to, to make it work well for us um, is you can, it's a, it's a link that you're delivering to somebody and um, a finished link. And then that's something that can be updated easily. Um, but now you're going to the show organizer and the show organizer is giving you three or four different options to choose from. You might actually choose option one or two, which costs a little bit less because they involve, they, they allow you to put um, links to your corporate website on there and you can embed this as one of those links. Right. And the beauty is, is you never leave the event platform. That link is opening up within the event platform. So it's no threat then to the, the, the show organizers. Last little thing I want to say on that is to an end user, find a way to put a positive spin on this to your show organizer. Um, and what I mean by that is, is if you, you know, tell them you're going to create backlinks to the show post show, um, that you're going to brand for the show, um, even on your exhibit for that event. So that, you know, I get it. They don't want people bouncing in and out of the event. And so the product we're providing and some other people are providing keeps them in the event, which is good. Um, but it also gives them a much prettier option than what the shows are providing. It, it just interesting. There's so many different things swirling around in my head from, from the exhibitor standpoint. So I guess another one would be uh, how do you place a value on it and how do you communicate that value to the company that's going to invest in a virtual exhibit? Obviously you're not building anything physical, but there's time and effort, there's labor and there's renderings and, and creating the content, whether it's a video, whether they provide it or so. So there's, there's a lot of the same things that go into it. It's just, you don't actually stand in a 3d space. So how do you communicate that value and how do you put a number on that? 
uh, numbers purely uh, 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 driven by number of hours. That's really it. So it's design time. Um, and programming time. Um, what we've done internally here, and I think some other companies have started to do as well, which is is to really uh, train our existing project managing management staff that was used to taking a, a rendered exhibit and breaking it all apart and putting the parts and pieces orders to the floor for people to build. Um, now they're taking the beautifully rendered um, exhibit that's in a three-dimensional rendering and they're putting in all of the different hotspots and, and doing all that sort of stuff. So it's it's just time. That's where the labor exists is, is in time. So it isn't hard to put a value on it, quite honestly, um, uh, uh, when we think of it um, that way. Um, the little caveat that I like to throw on there, a positive uh, hook, I guess I would, I would put it as, is, is everything that we're designing, though, the great part is, is when a live show comes back, if they've created some real great brand recognition with this, and maybe they're not even using it at all on show floors, they're using it for their own private company events as well, um, it could be built down the road as well so that they don't have to lose that. And that's the other thing to, to mention, Tim, when you're talking to end users or for end users who are watching this. Keep in mind this is something you can take with you. Right. It's not left on the show platform. You can take this from event to event to event to event because it's a link. Well, that's it. That's our podcast six-pack for the week. Uh, thanks again uh, to all the people that participated. Uh, Ken and Robert and Jay and Jonathan and Brad and Marlis and Kevin. And this week's one good thing, I have my fingers crossed, hope it's a good thing, the return of Pac-12 football. Oregon Ducks host the uh, Stanford Cardinal this coming Saturday. And uh, yes, I hope that uh, college football back on the West Coast and the Pac-12 is going to be a good thing. Have yourself a great week and uh, let's talk again soon.